0: I'd like to welcome everyone to our service of worship this morning as we gather together to glorify the Lord. Let's all stand for opening prayer. Father in heaven, we come to this place with hearts filled with excitement. And anticipation Lord because we get to meet with you here in this place today and we know your love we know your goodness we know your promises Lord you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you we're here seeking after you with all of our hearts today anticipating those spiritual blessings that you have for us Lord what a wonderful promise Lord that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are ours in Christ Jesus Lord. So we're here to give you our love. We're here to celebrate your goodness, your grace, your mercy, the sacrifice of your Son celebrating our salvation, Lord, that we belong to you forever, that there's a place in heaven reserved and waiting for us, Lord, that you're with us every step of the journey through this life, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for. We want to hear from you today, Lord. We want to learn of you, Lord. Would you speak to our hearts? Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church today. Open our eyes to see marvels things in your word today that will be useful and helpful to us, Lord. Would you nourish and strengthen our souls that this week we might truly live for you and just bear an abundance of good, luscious fruit for your glory, Lord. Pour out your spirit, fill us up to overflowing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing. We turn up in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 24. We are just studying our way through the book of Acts. Acts, chapter 24, we're looking at verses 14 and 15. But this, I admit to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers. Believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. Having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked." So, in uh, chapter 21, Paul is falsely accused of bringing Gentiles into the court of the Jews, which is a grave sacrilege. He didn't do it, but the rumor spread that he did, and a mob formed, drug him outside the temple, were beating him, intending to kill him. A Roman officer hears about it and comes down and rescues them. Paul asked permission to address the crowd. He sees it as an opportunity to bear witness for Jesus Christ. And so he shares his testimony of how he came to know Jesus as the Messiah and as his Lord and Savior. But when he got to the part where God called him to minister to the Gentiles, there was another riot breaking out because the Jews hate the Gentiles and do not believe that God's love and salvation is for the Gentiles. And so the Roman officer had to rescue Paul a second time. So he kept him in protective custody, but he was curious, what did this man do that was so bad that all his own Jewish brethren hate him so much? So he ordered him to be scourged That was the Romans' method for eliciting a confession. (laughs) Some guys, if they're in enough pain, they'll confess to anything. But before they could do that, Paul mentioned to the officer that he was a Roman citizen. The officer immediately issued a cease and desist order because he knew it was against the law to scourge a Roman citizen without a trial to determine Guilt. But he kept him in custody overnight. The next day he goes, I've got to find out what's going on with this guy. So he brings him to the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, so the Jews could press formal charges. And uh, when they were finished, Paul had another opportunity to speak on his own uh, defense. And he says, basically, I'm on trial here for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Well, that creates another uproar between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead, so all of a sudden they start defending Paul. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, so they're attacking him, and they're trying to harm him again. And a third time, the Roman officer has to rescue him. Well, that night, These Jews that hate Christianity and hate Paul form a conspiracy to kill Paul. And they bring their plot to the high priest who agrees to go along with it. And the plot is this the high priest in the morning will call for Paul to be brought out of the prison back to the Sanhedrin for further questioning. But on the route, he will be ambushed and assassinated. But God wasn't done with Paul, it wasn't God's time for him to die. And so Paul's nephew just happens to overhear these men talking about this plot. So he goes to the prison and tells Paul what's going on. Paul sends him to the Roman officer. And the Roman officer is, oh my goodness, I gotta get this guy out of town. So he sends him with a regiment, 470 men, 200 footmen, 200 spearmen, and 70 horsemen. Uh, to escort him down to Caesarea, which is about 60 miles away. So Claudius Lysias, the Roman commander, sends a letter with them to explain to Felix, the governor who lives in Caesarea, about this uproar concerning the apostle Paul. So Felix, the next day, sends an invitation to the Jews in Jerusalem to come down and press formal charges. So there's yet another hearing, And uh, now, when it's time for Paul to defend himself again here in chapter 24, he begins by saying that all the charges are false. None of it's true. He points out that there's not a single shred of proof for any of the charges, nor is there even one single eyewitness to corroborate any of these charges. But then, he tells them what he is guilty of. And I just kind of fell in love with verses 14 and 15. This is an admission of guilt. Notice he says, I admit guilty is charged to these three things. Number one, yes, I am a follower of the way. Number two, Yes, I absolutely believe everything that is written in the law and the prophets. And number three, guilty as charged, I believe that there certainly will be a resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. I want to focus on those two verses today because we want to be able to say that we're guilty of those three things and we want to make sure that there's an abundance of evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that we are guilty of those three things. You've heard the old adage, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Wouldn't it be sad if that really happened? Guy was being accused of being a Christian and he got acquitted because there was not enough evidence. Well, let's see, Uh, he doesn't go to church and... uh, You know, he doesn't uh, go to a Bible study and he's got a foul mouth and he cheats on his wife and he's, you know, down at the local bar getting drunk two or three nights a week. I'm sorry, you're acquitted. You're pronounced not guilty of being a Christian. We want to make certain that there's an abundance of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that we are guilty of number one, being a follower of the way. The early years of the Christian church, Christianity was referred to as the way. Uh, Six times in the book of Acts, it is referred to as the way. Only three times in the whole New Testament are followers of Christ called Christians. So the followers of Jesus are referred to as followers of the way. Why is that? Well, it's primarily because of one profound declaration of Jesus. I am the way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, meaning number one, he's the way to heaven. Nobody's going to go to heaven apart from Christ because we have all sinned and broken God's laws and God is a just God. If justice is done and it has to be done, then we're going to be convicted and we're going to have to be punished For our sins, Jesus bore the punishment for our sins on the cross of Calvary. As believers in him, we pass from judgment into life the moment we received Christ. So he is the way to heaven. But he's also the way to a rich, full, satisfying life. I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. So a follower of Jesus Christ is guaranteed a better quality of life than anybody who is not following Jesus Christ. He is the way to life, rich, full, satisfying, and eternal. So, I want to know him because he's the way. I want to know the way to heaven. I want to know the way to life abundant so I can walk in it. Now, here's the problem. There is a way, Proverbs 14, 12, that seems right to a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. So that's why we have to be so careful because the way that leads to death, meaning spiritual death, eternal darkness, eternal separation from God makes perfect sense. To man, it's perfectly logical. It is perfectly reasonable. That's why we need to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. Makes perfect sense to a man. My needs are not being met at home. I should be able to have my needs met. Anybody would agree with that, that we should have our needs met. And what my wife doesn't know certainly can't hurt her. That's true. If she doesn't know anything. It can't hurt her. So why shouldn't I be able to have a fling on the side, a little fun, once in a while on the side? If it's not hurting anyone, it can't be wrong. There's nothing wrong it. With it. That's the thinking of man. God says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 5 a good understanding produces favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor of God's laws. It's hard. Now, if I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a follower of the way, life has enough difficulties and challenges. But if I'm not following Christ, life is going to be much harder than it needs to be. Life doesn't need to be as hard as it is for you if you're not following Christ. The way of the transgressor is hard. Proverbs 22, 5 says, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. So the way of the perverse, those who pervert the will of God and the ways of God. Their life can be pictured by a man trying to make his way through a thicket of thorns and thistles. Every step he is punctured and poked and scratched and cut. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. If I don't like thorns and snares, I just need to stop perverting the ways of the Lord. Pornography is a perversion of the way of the Lord. Sexual promiscuity, fornication, adultery is a perversion of the way of the Lord of the Lord. Purity is the way of the Lord. If I want to have a life that is full and satisfying, a life richly blessed by God, I need to live a life of moral purity, a life of sexual purity. How blessed, how happy are the pure in heart. They shall see God. And to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. Their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess to know God. But by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. We need to flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. We want to make sure that there's enough evidence to convict us of being followers of the way of the Lord. So we want to make sure we are among those who are seeking the Lord, calling upon the Lord from a pure heart. The man who thinks it's so reasonable and logical to get his needs met outside the home if they're not being met in the home. Thorns and snares, he's on the pathway that leads to death. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her like an ox to the slaughter, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. Until an arrow pierces through his liver, that sounds painful. Or as a bird that hastens to the snare, So he does not know, it will cost him his life. The issue is not what his wife doesn't know. The issue is what he doesn't know. So he does not know, it will cost him his life. Many are the victims she has cast down. Numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way, the way, the way to Sheol descending to the chambers of death. We want to make sure there's an abundance of evidence to convict us beyond a reasonable doubt that we are followers of the way, that we are seeking and walking in moral purity. There's a way that seems right to a man. The end is death. We love our children. We want to protect our children from all danger, suffering, pain, harm. We want to protect our children from sexually transmitted diseases. We want to protect them from syphilis, gonorrhea, AIDS, and a host of others. But what is man's way of doing that? Man's way is to tell these teenagers, now we really don't want you having sex, but if you do, make sure you use a condom. And so we want to give you these condoms, and we want to teach you how to use them. Because if You use them properly. And if they don't break, there's a 90 to 95% chance you won't get a sexually transmitted disease. You feel good about saying that to your children? Now, sweetheart, if you use these properly and if they don't break, there's a very good chance you won't get a sexually transmitted disease. God has a better way. We teach them about sexually transmitted diseases, the horror of those diseases. And then we teach them God's way, which is abstinence before marriage and faithfulness within marriage. And if a young man grows up practicing abstinence before marriage, and he marries a young woman who grows up practicing abstinence before marriage, and then they practice faithfulness within marriage, they don't have to worry about giving each other any sexually transmitted diseases. God has a better way. We need to make sure that we're not calling ourselves Christians, but living like the world. We're not called to be conformed to our culture. We're called to become conformed to the image of Christ. And we are called to a life of Purity. That is the way of blessing. That is the road that leads to heaven. I want to be followers of the way. Secondly, we want to be guilty of believing everything in the law and the prophets. That means all scripture, because when Paul said that, the New Testament hadn't been compiled yet. So he's saying, guilty as charged, I believe everything in the word of God. Why is that so Important, because God has told us everything we need to know about all the important issues of life in His Word. Everything you need pertaining to life and godliness is found in His Word. But isn't it sad? How many Christians today don't believe everything in the Bible? Why is that? It's because their pastors went to liberal seminaries where liberal professors don't believe in things like the virgin birth of Christ, in things like the deity or the divine nature of Christ, don't believe in the healings of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus, don't believe in the physical resurrection of Christ. So, their people in those churches don't believe those things either. There was a group of scholars that were brought together, funded by a group of wealthy men who were seeking to produce a new version of the New Testament. There's a lot of money that can be made if you come out with a good popular version of the Bible. And the goal of the so-called scholars in this committee was to research the teachings of Jesus to determine which teachings attributed to Jesus were really spoken by Jesus and what Words of Jesus, you know, in the, in the New Testament, a lot of the words of Jesus are in red. What words are in red that are falsely attributed to Jesus that he never spoke? Well, it was called the Jesus Project. And it was terminated at the end of two years because the wealthy donors who were funding this project found out that they had already invalidated over 60% of the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. Their new publication was going to come out with less than 40% of the teachings of Jesus that we have in our Bibles. And they discovered that they were currently researching to discover whether or not Jesus actually ever did really exist. I said, I think it's time to pull the plug on this. People aren't going to have the guidance that they need, the wisdom that they need, the safety, well-being, and protection of God that they need if they don't believe everything God has said about everything. We can't let the scholars tell us what parts of the Bible are true and what parts of the Bible are not true. Because then God's no longer the authority for my life. The Bible's no longer the authority for my life. That scholar is now the authority of my life. I can't read the Bible to find out what's true. I have to look to him because he's going to tell me what parts of the Bible are true and what parts are not true. And in the same way, I can't take it upon myself to decide what parts of the Bible I agree with and what parts of the Bible I don't agree with. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. I'm not going to live by that. God is no longer the authority for my life. His word is no longer the authority of my life. I have become my own God because now I'm the authority for my life. And since I know what parts of the Bible are true and what parts of the Bible are not true, the whole world needs to look to me to know what truth is. He's given us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him which comes through his word. We know everything we need to know about everything. If we can say, yes, I believe all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. It's wonderful. I don't have to rack my brain to try to figure out the meaning of life. I hey, wonder how we got here. Uh, wonder why we're here. Is there any purpose for my existence or is it all a random chance? I don't have to rack my brain to figure those things out. God tells me in his Word why I'm here, how I got here. I know the meaning and purpose of life. I don't have to try to figure out the best value system to embrace. God tells me what's valuable and what's worthless. I don't have to try to figure out the best standard of morality to live by. God tells me the standard of morality that will result in a rich, full, satisfying life that is blessed by God. But when you deny God and and you deny his existence, you take God out of the equation, what do you end up with? Moral relativism. Everybody gets to decide for themselves what their own standard of morality is going to be. Because I don't have the right to impose my standard of morality on you. And you don't have the right to impose your standard of morality on anybody else. So everybody has their own truth. And how dare anybody say that their truth is more valid than anybody else's truth. And we have more relativism. And that means moral chaos. We're living in a world of moral chaos because we have denied the existence of God. I Believe everything God has to say about everything. Life isn't difficult for me. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But I want my life to prove, the way I'm living my life, to prove that I truly believe everything in the Scriptures. Thirdly, we want to be found guilty of believing in the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. So if I believe everything in the scriptures, that means I believe in two resurrections, the first resurrection and the second resurrection. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the believers. Our faith is counted unto us as righteousness. It's the believers who are the godly who are going to be in heaven. All believers are part of the first resurrection. The first resurrection begins when Christ is raised from the dead. He's the firstfruits of those who sleep or those who have died. So all the believers who died before Christ rose from the dead, immediately at that point in time, they are raised from uh, that place of comfort, Abraham's bosom in the heart of the earth, raised to be with the Lord in heaven. And every believer who dies after the resurrection of Christ is immediately raised to be with the Lord in heaven because to be absent from the Lord is to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the first resurrection takes place over a period of time. It ends somewhere in the tribulation period when the last tribulation saint is martyred. Millions will come to Christ during the tribulation We won't be here, the church is gone. It's the outpouring of God's wrath upon an evil world. We've been saved from the wrath of God. We escaped that through the rapture, but millions of people will come to Christ during the tribulation. Through the witness uh, of the two witnesses, uh, the witness of the 144,000 uh, on-fire Jewish evangelists who have come to know Jesus as Messiah, an angel going through the mid heaven proclaiming the everlasting gospel to everyone who is on the earth. Millions are going to be saved, but they're going to have to be willing to die. They're going to be martyred. But when the last martyr is beheaded or, or executed in whatever way, we read in Revelation 5.20, this is the first resurrection. So all believers whose faith is counted unto righteousness, that's the resurrection of the righteous. It's for all those who get to spend eternity in heaven. The second resurrection that is for all of the unbelieving and the ungodly who die as unrepentant, unforgiven sinners. Sinners. They're in a place, Hades, the abode of the dead and the heart of the earth. They're not in the comfort side. They're in the torment side waiting for the great white throne judgment. Christ comes at the end of the tribulation period. He rules and reigns for a 1,000 years. At the end of the millennium, they are raised from their place of incarceration to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. There, Those books are open. Every evil thought they've ever had is written down. Every evil desire, every evil motivation, every evil word they ever spoke, every evil deed, it's all written down. It's going to take a long time to read through all the charges for each individual. It's like a person that goes to court on five counts or on 12 counts or on 20 counts, depending on how many laws they've broken how many times. And everything is read from what is in the book. And at that point, they will know. They're not innocent. They will know. Nobody will claim innocence. Nobody will claim they're not guilty. Everyone will know they're deserving of justice and punishment for their sins. And no one can appeal to a higher court. (laughs) The decision of guilt and condemnation, no one can appeal to a higher court. There is no higher court. Those whose names are not written in the book of life are then at that time cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 2014 says the lake of fire is the second death. Those who are part of the second resurrection will be a part of the second death. We want to be a part of the first resurrection. There certainly will be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked, Paul said. So, If you've only been born once, you've got to die twice. If you just had a physical birth, then you have to have both a physical death and a spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. But if you're born twice, you have your physical birth, I think you did, you're here. Then you need to have another birth, a second birth. You need to be born again. When you're born again, it's a spiritual birth It takes place when you receive Christ. When you receive Christ, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. You're born of the Spirit. You have eternal life abiding in you. Just born once, die twice. Make sure you have the second birth. Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You know who said that? Jesus. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Well, let's make up our minds if we're ever put on trial for being a Christian. We are absolutely going to be found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt that we are followers of the way, we believe everything in the Word of God, and we believe in the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, it is our greatest treasure in life. No amount of silver and gold could ever be worth more than this book we hold in our hands because you've given us everything we need to know pertaining to life, godliness, eternity, heaven, and hell. Thank you for your word. Give us a heart to believe everything you say about everything and then just live our lives that way. That we would never, Lord, be seen as Christians in name only. Everyone who knows us knows that we love you with all of our hearts and we have totally committed our lives to you. So, Lord, give us pure minds and pure hearts. We want to be followers of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can be born again by receiving Christ. You can have your second birth right here, right now. You can become a child of God, a brand new little baby Christian born of the Spirit, Spirit of Christ dwelling into you, dwelling within you, and you know your sins are paid for. They're forgiven. There's nothing you could ever be judged for. You've passed from judgment today into life. You receive eternal life as a free gift through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You believe the word of God. Jesus loves you. He suffered to pay for your sins. He died in your place. And through believing in him and receiving him as Lord and Savior, you're gonna spend eternity with God. You're gonna be a part of the first resurrection. If you want to have your spiritual birth right now, if you want to know that you're born again, pray this prayer after me, whether you're here or whether you're watching online. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I have fallen short of your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering and dying for me. I believe in you. I receive you now as my Lord and as my Savior. Come in to my heart. Wash me and cleanse me from all sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the free gift of eternal life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I might follow you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer. Christ came into your heart. He dwells in you. You belong to him forever. At your second birth. Spend the rest of your life rejoicing and celebrating your salvation. That place in heaven that's already reserved for you. If you're struggling or hurting, you need some prayer today, we have a prayer room. It's a store to my right. Just make your way on over after the closing song. And now I have an important announcement to make. Uh, the time has come. Uh, it came sooner than I thought it was going to come, but the time has come for me to step down. The time has come for me to retire. I didn't expect it to come this quickly, but um, it, it's It's here. Um, I can't even begin to describe how tired I am all the time. <laughs> uh, I come to understand why 65 is the traditional retirement age. Something happens, and it doesn't matter how sleep, how much sleep I get. I 'm just tired and worn out all the time, and I know I don't have to give anymore what this church needs and what this church deserves. But this next generation of pastors and spiritual leaders does. Man, the passion and the energy and the drive and the zeal of the uh, spiritual leaders God has put in place here is so, so exciting. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do through this church because I know there's going to be new, fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And I know revival's coming. It's coming to this church and to this community, but it's not going to be through the old guard. It's going to be through this next Generation, and it's already happening. We, God's heart is breaking for the youth, young people, so lost in such darkness, contemplating suicide. But when the revival came in the 70s and the Jesus movement, it wasn't the older people, it was the younger people. And God has Dane Nelson in place as the high school pastor. No High schoolers could have a better high school pastor. Dane could probably pastor a church right now. But for a season, God has him here because there's gonna be a revival breaking out in the high schools. It's already happening in our high school fellowship. There's gonna be a revival breaking out in the young adults under Brandon Wright and the Wright family. People, it's already happening. We can see it already beginning to explode. New families are already coming with children. God's already blessing and building back up the children's ministry since COVID under David and Uh, uh, Daphna (laughs) Wardrop. What a phenomenal team for, for children's ministry. And young families are already coming into the church. New young families attracted by couples like Eric and Naomi who have children and Chris and Maria Vlasic who has children. So here's what's going to happen. God's going to prove to you. He's going to prove this to you. That if you got blessed and ministered to through this ministry, he's going to prove to you it never had anything to do with Brad Young. (laughs) It never did. It was Jesus. And it was the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes you walk away going, man, I think that, whole message was just for me I think God planned that whole message just for me it was just so relevant to what I'm going through and so many people walk away feeling like that Brad Young's not capable of doing that the Holy Spirit it's miraculous he can take a passage of scripture and personalize it for every single person I don't know how the Lord does it but it's the Lord and the Lord's not leaving I am (laughs) it's going to keep happening even better and stronger than before Pastor Eric will be the senior pastor. He will be doing Sunday mornings. And here's the thing. You have seen his teaching gift develop deeper and stronger, even over just the last few months. But he's also anointed as an evangelist. And that might even be a stronger gift. Like, Greg Laurie can teach, but his even stronger gift is evangelism. So on Sunday mornings, a lot of people are coming to Christ under Greg's ministry. You're going to see more people coming to Christ on Sunday mornings through this ministry than you ever have before. And then Pastor Chris uh, Vlasik will be your verse-by-verse verse Wednesday night Bible teacher. And man, that is his wheelhouse. I don't know if you've heard him teach verse-by-verse, verse, uh, but it's so rich and so deep and he's so articulate in his ability to explain the meaning of the scriptures and how they apply to our lives. Wednesday nights is going to be super, super blessed. So don't leave. Don't let a spirit of fear come upon you. The enemy is going to try to put a spirit of fear upon you. Oh no, Brad's leaving. What's going to happen to the church? It's always been the Lord's church. He loves this church. He gave us Amariah. That's how much he loves this church. Beautiful, anointed worship in the presence of the Lord. He's got all these pieces in the right place because he's going to do great and mighty things. So, so be a part of it. Don't, don't leave. Don't sit on the sidelines and watch. Be a part of the great and exciting things. God is going to do. It it wasn't gonna happen under me. It's gonna happen through the next generation that God is raising up. So, uh, we bought a house in Nashville, and uh, the escrow actually closed on Friday, which was my birthday present from the Lord. That was my birthday on Friday. Here, Brad, here, have a house. It's your birthday present. So we want to make sure it closed first, make sure God was in this. (laughs) And so our home here goes on the market Uh, this coming week. We figure a couple weeks to take offers and accept an offer and then maybe a 30-day escrow. So uh, the plan is we'll probably be leaving mid-December earliest. Latest, probably mid-January. But I will be here on Sunday mornings until we leave. But I want to share with you another important reason why in our retirement we're moving away. Number one, as you know, it's much easier to survive when you're retired if you're not in Southern California. You go somewhere where the cost of living is half of what it is here. So we are going to Tennessee for that reason and because my son is there and our beautiful, sweet daughter-in-law is there and my beautiful, beautiful, our beautiful, sweet Presley turned one-year-old last week and it has been killing us, killing us so we can't be a part of her life and now we're going to get to be a part of her life and you know what, people have mentioned recently how come you never mentioned your new little granddaughter? So, you are in luck close the service today with, if you don't mind, just two really short little videos, okay? And and the first one, the first one is she learned to say dada, but they couldn't get real excited about it because they realized she didn't know what it meant. Everything was dada. But they happened to get on video when they realized she came to understand what it means. So cute. (laughs) <laughs> she loves her dad, Yeah. Okay, the other one. We were, we were visiting there in September. Okay, and so I'm playing with her, and I pick her up and I stand her on a chair. And she thought she was hot stuff, standing up on a chair. You know, I'm holding on to her so she doesn't fall. And a, a thought came into my mind. I remember what, something my mother used to do with us when we were little, and I saw her do it with other little children. She would say, "Sing a pretty song, la 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 Sing a pretty song, la 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 la." And pretty soon you would hear the child sing la la, la la la." So I thought, I'm going to try that with Presley. (Mu la 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 la) La 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 la. La 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 la. Presley, you sound better than Daddy already. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, P La 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> That's our little Presley. Now do you understand why we gotta go? (laughs) We have to be a part of her life. Things are gonna be so wonderful for us. Things are gonna be so good and wonderful for you. We love you so much. No pastor could ever ask or hope for a more wonderful congregation of sweet, sweet, loving people. Just love the Lord and wanna serve the Lord. What a joy it's been for me to be here these 38 years. So I want to close with a picture of this poor, sad, neglected, unloved little girl. <laughs> you grandparents out there, you know what's going on here, don't you? Let's stand for a closing song.